And what a delight it is for my wife and me to be in the beautiful city of Calgary. And uh, I do bring you greetings from Chicago. Now, Chicago doesn't have a stampede, but it does have a baseball game, a baseball team by the name of the Cubs. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of the Cubs, but it's a well-known baseball team, and it is known for certain things. For example, in Chicago, we can buy a Cub t-shirt that says, anyone can have a bad century. <laughs> in fact, um, I'm told that according to the media, and if it's in the media, you know that it's true. According to the media, they were having batting practice the other day, and the pitching machine pitched a no-hitter. <laughs> so when you think of Chicago, remember the Cubs. But most importantly, please remember the Moody Church. And if you've never gone online, moodychurch.org, you can connect with us, you can see sermons there and the ministry and if you're ever in the city of Chicago we'd love to have you visit. I always say that uh, it's not necessary to visit the Moody Church to go to heaven but why take a chance? <laughs> what a wonderful warm welcome we've received here. Thank God for the great ministry of this church and because of my Canadian connections it's always great to be back in Canada. I begin today by giving you some caution regarding what you ask for. Beware of what you ask for. There was a man and his wife who were out on their 40th anniversary. They were celebrating 40 years of marriage and they were each 60 years old. An angel appeared to them and said, what would you like for your 40th anniversary? The wife said, I've never traveled around the world. I'd love to travel. And the angel swished his sword, and instantly in her hand were tickets for a world cruise. It was her husband's turn. He took the angel aside and said, you know, I'd really like to be married to a woman who is 30 years younger than I am. Instantly, the angel swished his sword, and instantly, the man was 90 years old. <laughs> Watch what you ask for. Well, today, my topic is how to survive a storm, how to get through a storm. As I look over this fine congregation, I realize that I don't know most of you. I've never met you. But I do know something about you. Either you have been in a storm and you're coming out of a storm, or you're in a storm, or you're headed into one. Because all of us have storms that come to us in life. For some of you, the storm might be a relational storm. Maybe within your family, you may be going through a bitter divorce. It may be awful, and so you have that storm to contend with. Some of you may have a health storm. Maybe this week, the doctor told you that you had cancer. And uh, now suddenly, you're faced with a possibility of a death that maybe was a lot sooner than you had planned, or whatever it may be. It may be a health issue. I have no doubt that some of you are going through a financial issue, a financial storm. Maybe you were laid off this week. 
Maybe you aren't able to pay your bills as many people in America can't during this difficult time and we of course as a church try to help them as best we can but whatever the storm is I want to make a promise to you today. There are seven lessons that we're going to get into in just a moment and if you remember these lessons and I encourage you to write them down you will be able to navigate almost any storm. The passage of scripture that comes to us is found in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus performed a miracle. 5,000 people were fed at his word as bread multiplied. And uh, in this miracle that Jesus performed, he then, we pick up the text in Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them." Am I speaking to somebody today, and I'm sure I am, and the wind is against you. Everything seems to be against you. And you'll notice it says in verse 25, at the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. And the disciples did make it to the other side, as we shall see in a moment. Seven lessons we must learn when trying to navigate a storm. A message of hope, a message of encouragement. Lesson number one is simply this. Storms are often encountered in obedience to Christ. Storms are often encountered while we are obeying God. Now let's look at the text. Were these disciples in the will of God? Obviously they were in the will of God. Wouldn't you like it if the will of God were made this clear to you that Jesus were to say to you, get into that boat and go to the other side of the lake? Could anything be more clear than that? And yet in obedience to Jesus, they encounter the greatest storm that they have ever encountered while obeying Christ. You know, just because you may be going through a difficulty in your marriage or a difficulty in work or you may be in some storm, that doesn't mean that you are out of God's will. Storms come to us while we obey Jesus. Because we have to realize that the holiest path is not always the smoothest path. It is God who leads us into storms. Storms are determined for us by him. And may I say to you today, between you and me as you are listening, remember that you are today right where God wants you. God wants you listening to this message and even the context in which you find yourself is a context in which God will guide you and the storm that you are facing indeed 
may be because you are following Jesus. Because storms are often encountered in obedience to God's will. So it is what it is, and you are today where you are by divine appointment. He's brought you to this hour. There's a second lesson we must learn, and that is that uh, storms should remind us of God's promises. Storms should remind us of God's promises. And the reason that that should happen is because, look at the text, by the way. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Jesus said to these disciples, go to the other side. Now let me ask you a question. If the creator of the oceans, Jesus, who spoke the worlds into existence, if he is the one who says, get into this boat and go to the other side, are you going to make it to the other side? The answer, of course, is yes. Because Jesus has spoken. Like a friend of mine says, if you're to be hung, you'll never drown. If you're walking in God's will, certainly that is true. Now, you see, if the disciples had listened carefully to the promise of Jesus, they could have enjoyed that storm. They could have said to themselves, let the wind blow. Let the waves try to capsize this boat. We will make it because Jesus said, go to the other side. And there was no way that they could drown, by the way. Because in that boat there were apostles who eventually would write some of the books of the New Testament. People like John and Peter, for example. And, and God had plans for them. And some of these men, God blessed them, God had targeted to die the death of a martyr. So uh, on that boat, there were so many matters that God was still going to do through those disciples, and they could have hung on to the promises of Jesus and even enjoyed the storm. When you and I are going through a storm, it is so important that we hang on to all the promises. Now, Sometimes we used to sing when I was little, every promise in the book is mine. Not necessarily. There are some promises that God gave to Abraham that I don't think apply to me. But we think of all of those promises to us as God's people. I speak today to those of you who are going through a time of fear. Over 300 times in the Bible, in one way or another, God says, fear not for I am with you. And there are times of distress, and we have to go to Romans chapter 8. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, that's poverty, peril, sword, martyrdom. Will that separate us from the love of Christ? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You must cleave to the promises when you're going through a storm. So that's the second lesson. Storms should remind us of God's promises. Lesson number three is, even when we can't see Jesus, and this is so important, 
Even when we can't see Jesus, Jesus can see us. Let me recreate in your minds the situation. Jesus has done the miracle. He puts his disciples into the boat. And then what did we read? It says that he went into a mountain himself to pray. And if you've been to Galilee, you know that there are several very tall hills that they call mountains. And Jesus was on one of those tall hills several miles away. Was it possible in the blackness of the night for the disciples to see Jesus? Of course not. There was no way that they could see him there on the hilltop. But could Jesus see them? Oh yes, my friend, Jesus saw the longitude and the latitude of their little boat. He knew the speed of the wind. He knew how much each board on that boat could take. All of that knowledge was present with him. He knew exactly where they were, more accurately than a GPS. Jesus knew where they were on that lake, and he knew all about the boat that they were in. Could I say that to remind you that Jesus knows exactly where you are in your need and that there are times when we don't see Jesus, he hides his face. Have you gone through a trial like that where there's nothing but darkness, nothing but hopelessness, and you say, where is God? I had a friend with whom I played tennis for 20 years. His name was Mark. I'll never forget when he discovered that he had terminal cancer, and I walked with him through that experience, visiting him often before he died. But one time he told me that in the middle of the night his pain was so great, and he didn't want to wake his wife. So he got up out of the bedroom and then went into the living room and turned on the light. And he said, Erwin, all faith drained from my soul. And there he was. He said, I was alone with Jesus, but all my faith is gone. Wow, what an experience. But I want you to remember and don't forget, when push comes to shove in life, it is much better that God can see us than that we can see God. And even though he may hide his face from us, he knows exactly where we are. He sees you today. He sees the burden and the storm that is on your heart, and he sees it with clarity, and he knows where you are on your lake, on your boat. And even when we can't see God, God is there seeing us. So that's lesson number three. Even when we can't see Jesus, Jesus can see us. There's a fourth lesson. The fourth lesson is that Jesus comes to us in the right time. Jesus comes to us in the right time. Let's look at the text here. It says uh, the wind was against them, verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night... He came to them walking on the sea. Fourth watch, four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock when it is the darkest. Four o'clock when the disciples were the most weary. Four o'clock when some of the disciples, I'm sure, had given up all hope of making it to shore. 
because those squalls that happen on Galilee are very difficult to navigate, even for experienced fishermen. But just at the fourth watch, at the time of their desperation, it is then that Jesus comes to them. You realize today, my friend, that uh, God is the just-in-time God, just-in-time. Thinking, for example, of when Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, and there the knife is high, gleaming in the morning sun. And it is then that the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, and he says, here I am, and he says, don't harm the boy. Just in the nick of time. And then... You remember there was a ram that was caught in the thicket and Abraham was able to offer that ram in the stead of his son and that ram was there just in time. Moments of desperation, God comes to us. And you know, maybe the reason that we're not delivered, maybe the reason that we've not seen God is that we are not yet desperate. It is not four o'clock in the morning for us. My wife and I know a woman who was involved in a very immoral lifestyle, and she often prayed to God, Oh, God, get me out of this. Please get me out of this. But she always went back to it. And then one time in utter, total desperation, she knelt and she said, God, either get me out of this lifestyle or kill me right here and now, but do one or the other. And it was that day that she walked out of that environment. And she is married now, and she and her husband have a ministry to broken people because they've had a lot of brokenness in their own experience and in their own lives and therefore are being used now by God to touch the brokenness of others. The point of desperation. Could I say also, speaking to some of you, that there are some people who have to be shipwrecked before they land on the right shore. God has to bring them to that point of desperation. God has to work in their life and let their ship be battered to bits before they say, okay, God, you've got me. I'm desperate. It is four in the morning for me, and I call on you. Jesus comes to us at the very right time. There's another lesson, and that is number five. Our fears, our fears might be Jesus in disguise. Our fears might be Jesus in disguise. Now, let's look at the text. The fourth of watch of the night He came to them walking on the sea, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Visualize the situation. Jesus comes walking to them. They're not thinking this is Jesus by no means. They're not recognizing him. They say it is a ghost, and they were afraid of the ghost because ghosts are scary And so the disciples, they cry out. Now, what they didn't know is that that which they feared was Jesus coming to them. That's what it really was. It was Jesus and not a ghost. And the object of their fear 
was Jesus trying to get close to them, Jesus there to help them, and the things that you fear may be Jesus trying to get his arms around you. I think, for example, again of my friend Mark who died of cancer. One day I said to him, Mark, uh, have you ever thanked God for your cancer? This is maybe now three or four weeks before he died. He said, oh, he said, I thank God for cancer every day. Now you have to understand that when he learned about the cancer, it was so difficult for him to accept, to leave a wife behind, beautiful children, grandchildren. Very, very hard. But my, by now he's saying, I thank God every day. Because you see, he began to see that the cancer that he feared was actually God coming close to him. It was Jesus putting his arms around him. And he said to me, heaven used to be just a theoretical place. Now it is very real in light of the fact that soon I will be gone and I will be arriving there. It is Jesus putting your, his arms around us. I think, for example, of a, of a couple that had a special needs child. My wife, Rebecca, gave me this article, which I read some time ago. I wish I had kept it. I'm not sure exactly where it is or if I can find it, but here's the story. Here is this professional couple. She works. He works. They love to travel. They were going to um, earn a lot of money, and then, you know, they'd be able to be on their adventures and live in a beautiful home, and suddenly now they have a special needs child. She has to quit her job. She, have to, she has to give this baby attention 24-7. Quite frankly, when that baby was born, it's, it's, they just assumed our life is wrecked. All of our plans have been shattered. And now this article being written 13 years later, they hadn't had a vacation in 13 years, though I think after 13 years they did take a few days off. But the article said, we didn't know it at the time. But that little baby is the greatest blessing that God had give, could have given to us. Because it not only brought us together as a couple, but it revealed our own selfishness, our own desire only to take care of our own needs. And now suddenly we have a child that needs us 24-7. And God uses this to overcome our selfishness and to show us our own need. And that which we feared, that which we thought would ruin our lives was God putting his arms around us. It was God coming close. Let me put it to you as clearly as I am able. The wind that brought them the waves is also the wind that brought them Jesus. And in your life and your experience, the wind that brings you trouble and fear and hopelessness brings you Jesus if you have the faith to see him in your storm. Now, if you only see the devil in your storm, and the devil may be involved in your storm, most assuredly, but as Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. So that if you, only see, if you only see Satan and you don't see the overwhelming, overarching purposes of God and that God can even use the devil as he wishes, if you don't see that, you'll be left in despair. I urge you today to see Jesus 
in the storm, even as it comes toward you. So our fears, our fears might be Jesus in disguise. There's a sixth lesson, and that is the water, the water that threatens to be over your head is under his feet. The water that threatens to be over your head is actually under the feet of Jesus. We have to understand here that Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples feared that they were going to drown. But the water that they thought they might go under and drown, Jesus is walking on that water because after all, he is king of kings and lord of lords and god of all gods. He is triumphant over nature. He's also triumphant over your need and my need and the water that threatens us. Perhaps you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And maybe I'm even speaking to somebody, and if I am, you'll know who you are, who thinks to himself or to herself, I have sinned so greatly, I've committed so many sins, I've walked away from God, and, and there's no way God can receive me. Let me tell you that the Bible says that Jesus is above every principality and every power and every name that is named both in this world and in the world to come and Jesus is adequate for you no matter who you are. I have a friend by the name of Tony Evans, maybe you've heard him preach, he's a great African-American preacher, and he tells this story that he and his wife Lois, they were out on a cruise one time, and uh, on the ship intercom, there came a message, and the message was, uh, buckle up, because we're headed into a storm, and uh, his wife Lois didn't like that. So she tried to call the captain of the ship, and she wasn't able to speak to him, but she spoke to his assistant and said this, if there's a storm out there, why are we going into it? Why don't we just uh, put down anchor and let us stay over here and wait until the storm is over, and then we can go out. The assistant said, I'll relay your concerns to the captain and get back to you. A few minutes later, the captain gets back and talks to her and says, uh, the captain who is uh, his assistant, got back and said, the captain wants to say two things to you. And I'm sure the first was said very diplomatically, but actually it amounted to saying, just remember, I'm in charge and you're not. That's a good thing to remember. And then the second thing the captain said, I don't ever want you to forget. It's the kind of thing that you ought to write in the flyleaf of your Bible. The captain said, would you tell that woman that this ship was built with this storm in mind? And when Jesus Christ came to this earth, when he was crucified and then buried and then raised again in triumph, that Jesus died and came to this earth with your storm and your need in mind. And he is adequate for you, wherever you find yourself. I realize that for some of you, that is to take the path of wisdom. I realize that some of you need perhaps the counsel of others at the same time that you're going through the storm. But Jesus Christ is sufficient because he is king. 
He is Lord, he is God, and he had your sin and your mess in mind when he died to redeem you. That ship was made with you in mind. So the water that threatens to be over our head is under his feet. There's a seventh and final lesson, and that is our ability to walk. Our ability to walk is dependent on the focus of our eyes. Our ability to walk is dependent upon the focus of our eyes. I'm picking up the text now in verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God, and truly he is the Son of God. Our ability to walk depends upon the focus of our eyes. Now let's recreate the situation one more time. Jesus is walking on the water as if he's walking on a marble floor. He is above the waves. Uh, Peter sees him and says, um, can I come out? And, and Jesus says, come. And for a, two a few moments, if you had a video camera, there would have been two people walking on the water. Jesus walking and Peter walking toward him. Both very successful. Peter participating in the victory of Jesus. But when he began to see the waves and took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. And aren't you glad that Jesus is the immediate Jesus? I hope your Bibles are open. My translation says in verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, do not be afraid. Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of Peter, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I have a question for you. What was Peter's greatest problem? You say, well, I think uh, Peter's greatest problem was the depth of the water, or Peter's greatest problem may have been the speed of the wind. Maybe Peter's problem was the height of the waves. Well, clearly in the text today, that was not Peter's greatest problem. The end of the day, Peter's greatest problem was faith and faith alone. Because you see, to Jesus, the height of the waves and the speed of the wind made no difference. He was able to handle any one of those, despite the depth of the water. And so, you see, the real issue was faith that Jesus could handle his situation. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about such things as spiritual warfare, he lists all the pieces of armor, and then he says, and above all that, above it, he says, take the shield of faith above all. Why? Our greatest need is always faith. And so when, faith, when Peter looked at Jesus and exercised that faith, 
and was not cut up with the wind and the waves. He was walking. As soon as he took his mind off Jesus, how long did it take for him to begin to sink? Immediately. You and I, we can leave a church service like this and we can sin immediately. Uh, we can get into the car and have an argument on the way home and lose our temper. When we begin to lose faith and the focus of our eyes is not Jesus, we are capable of doing some pretty bad things. Because at the end of the day, our greatest need is always faith. One day I was riding with, uh, uh, on a commercial airline, but a pilot of a small plane was riding next to me. He was on his way to another city. He said, you know, the reason, he says, little planes are just as safe as the big ones, but they crash more often. And he said they crash more often because the pilots don't trust their instruments. They think to themselves that they're going up, when in point of fact they're going down, and when the instruments tell them the truth, they discard those instruments because they think they know better because they're going by intuition. And you and I, so often, we go by intuition. The promises of God don't seem to be relevant, they don't guide us, and what we need to do is to exercise our own will and do our own thing because, after all, uh, God isn't coming through for us, is he? My folks, my dear friends today, what you and I need to do is to keep our minds and our hearts focused on Jesus and those promises. If I might refer to my friend Mark one more time, perhaps it was two weeks or so before he died, I said, Mark, I said, how do you maintain your balance and your sense of peace? And he reached over and he took out some laminated sheets of paper and he said, on these sheets of paper, there are the promises of God. He said, I think I remember 114 verses, he said. And he said, whenever I become fearful, whenever the vast unknown where I will soon be going overwhelms me, I just keep reading the promises, believing the promises, memorizing the promises until I am at peace. The end of the day is keeping your mind and your heart on Jesus. There is a little poem that says this, One ship sails east, another west. By the selfsame winds that blow, tis the set of the sail and not the gale that determines the way to go. Your eyes are on Jesus. What we're going to do in the next few moments is we're going to give your storm to God before you leave here. You all know what your storm is. Some of you have two or three of them. And we're going to get rid of it by just transferring it to the shoulders of Jesus. After all, the Bible says the governments of the world shall be upon his shoulders. So don't you think that he can handle your storm? But what you need to do is to transfer it to his shoulders. Now as a pastor who's been around a while, I know that for some of you, this will not be life-changing because you are going to refuse to give Jesus your storm. Uh, you're going to hang on to it. You're not going to make the transfer, I'm sorry to say. It's like a woman told me, she said, Pastor Lutzer, if I gave my burdens to God and quit worrying, I'd have nothing to think about. My mind would be entirely blank. She said, worry is my obsession. Worry is what fuels my thinking. 
So if you're here today and say, I can't give it over to Jesus because I don't trust him, and furthermore, worrying is who I am, this might not help you. But there are hundreds of you who I believe today will begin a path of deliverance. And if after giving your burden to God, it is back on your shoulders tomorrow morning, you do the same thing over and over again, you keep transferring it to Jesus, because after all, casting all your care upon him, he cares for you. You keep transferring it to Jesus until the burden becomes lighter, and no matter how strong the storm is, your heart is at peace. But before we give it over to God, I have to give you an illustration. A couple of months ago, my wife and I flew from Chicago to Rome and on United Airlines. Let's suppose that when we were on United Airlines, I were to say to a flight attendant, you know, now that we're flying across the ocean and it's getting late, I'm a little worried that the pilots might be falling asleep. Would you check to see if they're awake? Now, of course, today you can't do that because of security and all those things, but years ago when security wasn't tight, maybe this illustration might have been more applicable. But uh, let's suppose she goes and checks and she comes back and says, I want you to know that the pilots uh, are awake. They're awake. An hour later, I think to myself, well, you know, I've known people who have fallen asleep in an hour. In fact, I've sometimes fallen asleep in less time than that. I wonder if she'd do it again. So I ask her, would you go and check with those pilots and make sure that they are awake? She comes back later and she says, yes, those pilots are awake. An hour later, I'm a little, oh, I'm a little hesitant to ask her this, but you know, so I ask her a different question. I say, when does this plane arrive in Rome? And I ask her how long she's been a flight attendant. And we're talking and I say, well, you know, now we're talking uh, about other things. Uh, would you check <laughs> to see if those pilots are awake? And at that point, she says to me, I'd like to make a deal with you. I'd like to pour you a cup of coffee if you promise to step outside and drink it. <laughs> and then she might say, you're insulting our pilots. And you know what? I would be. From my heart to yours today, we insult God like that every day. We give him our concerns and then we say, well, I've given it to God and look, he hasn't done anything. I have to take it back on my shoulders. There's no way that God, God doesn't seem to be anything. I don't know whether or not he heard the prayer, so we keep repeating the same prayer over and over again and it is a prayer of unbelief because we fail to give it to God and then thank him that it's off our shoulders and therefore we live a life of begging in God's presence rather than praising in God's presence and as a result our hearts are restless and we're checking with God moment by moment to see whether or not he's coming through with anything. And we don't trust him. The life of faith is a difficult life because it is only through the word that God builds faith in our heart. And as we walk with God, our faith increases. But today, right now, I'm going to invite you to give your storm to God. I'm going to pray a brief prayer. And then I want you to pray to God. You talk to him. And if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, would you come to him with your storm, with your baggage, with your sin? Because remember... That ship was built with you in mind. And God is adequate for you. 
as we commit ourselves to him and to his promises. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for this account that tells us about the authority of Jesus over the wind and the waves and over our lives as well. We thank you that indeed he is the Son of God. Now, Father, we, we just confess sometimes it's hard for us to trust you because the waves are so high, the wind is so strong. Would you enable your people at this moment to say, Jesus, take this storm from me. I transfer it from my shoulders to yours. And for those who are here who have never trusted Christ, may they come into the presence of Jesus and say, Jesus, save me from my sins because I know you died for sinners just like me. Whatever it is that you've spoken to people about, grant them the grace to speak to you now in response to your word. I pray. Now you go ahead and pray. Father, hear the prayers of all those who are crying up to you now in the depths of their souls and help us to trust you. And if our lives should end when we don't want them to, we know that we are trusting a pilot who will bring us safely to the other shore. May we trust you the whole way. In Jesus' blessed name, amen.